0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Creative Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. On today's show, I have two guests, Ram V, the writer, and Dev, the artist of Paradiso, which is being published by Image Comics and the first issue comes out next week, December 6th, 2017. This interview spans the globe as I talk to Ram in London and Dev in Bangalore, India. And I ask each of them, what is it that they love about their respective cities and why they should be places that I must see? I also discuss their first work, Black Bumba, and their current work, Paradiso. Plus we discuss dogs, cats, and chickens. I recorded this episode on Black Friday, so it has been one year since I launched this podcast and this is the 82nd episode. As we approach the holiday season, I'd like to ask you for one gift. It won't cost you anything, won't take a whole lot of time. If you've been listening to the show, please go on iTunes, rate and review. Even if you just give it a star review, that's very much appreciated. And tell a friend about the podcast. Someone who likes comics or who's an artist or writer themselves. It's out every Thursday and it's free. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And I have a lot coming up for the month of December. Some very well-known comic book writers and artists and maybe people that you haven't heard of that get a chance to be in the spotlight and tell you all about their work and what makes it so unique as I enter my second year of interviews. And now, on to my interview with Ram V, the writer and dev, the artist on Paradiso, here now on Creator Talks. and welcome to Creator Talks. Oh, thanks, Chris. And Dev, welcome. No, oh, thanks. You know, my show's all about the creators and the work. So let me start with you and your location because I think it's a big influence, your environment, on the kind of work that you do. So I'm going to ask each of you, why should I put London, Mumbai on my must-see list? So, Ram, I'll start with you. Knowing you're from Mumbai, you were there for 20 years, and I'll get to that as well, what is it about London where you currently
1: reside that you like? Uh, well, I moved to London actually uh, to study uh, writing. And uh, when I moved here from Mumbai in, in, in 2013, uh, strangely enough, you know, I, was, I was inside uh, one of those visa interview things. And um, the person who was doing an interview asked me, you know, why London? I mean, I, I see you've been to the States before and you've studied there. Why did you choose to come to London? And I went, I really like something about the kind of writing that comes out of London. And I always suspected that writing and stories have a lot to do with location. So um, when I moved to London and I saw that, you know, it's usually a little chilly, kind of gray, overcast, I can totally see why the kind of writing that comes out of London comes from here. And that's the first time I kind of remember falling in love with the city. Um, And so it's just that kind of, overcast gray pall. that a lot of people hate but I kind of love that the atmosphere that the city has um and apart from that it's a big city I've always grown up in big cities so um it's just nice to be able to step outside you know at 2 or 3 a.m in the morning and still find that there's life out on the streets I've never had the pleasure of going there
0: and I really do want to get there I've heard some things and I don't know if they're true or not but people say that the food's not
1: very good your opinion is that is that true um (laughs) I would say, given the kind of food that I've had, I would say British food is probably not as imaginative as you would like it to be. London being the kind of city that it is, you'll probably find food from all over the world. I have definitely had great food uh, in London, but I'm not sure it's been a typically British kind of uh, cuisine, if you will. And is it expensive? I hear that it's very expensive, especially, you know, you being a writer, how
0: are you managing to make ends meet? <laughs>
1: Well, uh, London's definitely an expensive city. I moved here as a student, which was even harder. So I worked part-time jobs and stuff to make make ends meet. But uh, fortunately, before I turned to writing, I used to be a chemical engineer. So I worked for about seven, eight years, built up my savings. And that's kind of how I took the dive into writing. Um, But also, I believe uh, in in looking at writing as a job. So although I'm very creatively inclined and I want to do... um, a lot of things with my own work and writing. I've also taken up projects. I've taken up ghostwriting projects. I've written copywriting for, for advertisements and such. So there's the writing I do to keep the money coming in. There's the writing I do because there's stories that I want to tell. And, and comics, I think, squarely falls in the, I really want to do this. That's why I'm doing it part.
0: Going from chemical engineer to writer
1: is quite a shift. Well, I mean, I used to write even as a kid. um, I remember the first thing I'd ever written of any sort of significant length was when I was 13, I think, and I wrote like 50,000 words of a really terrible novel. Um, Very, very sort of Lord of the Rings ripoff. But even at that age, just looking at the amount of words I've written, I mean, I know people who struggle to write less than that, and I knew that I had the interest and patience to kind of sit down and do that. Uh, And so I would say it's always been a childhood passion. But uh, 2011 is when I quit chemical engineering, partly because I'd done that for about seven or eight years and I traveled a lot as a part of that job. I went to oil manufacturing countries and I sold chemicals to oil companies. And just traveling the world had kind of given me a perspective that I really wanted to put down into the writing. And so 2011, when I quit, I knew that I had all this material that I had, and I knew I wanted to do something creatively with it. And even even when I was working as a chemical engineer, I would write, you know, in lunch breaks and stuff. And I had a couple of short stories already published and picked up. So it wasn't as uh, sudden a leap uh, as you might think. But in terms of, yeah, in terms of decisions as to, you know, am I going to make a living out of this? Is this going to be successful? I'm not the kind of guy who believes in having a backup plan. So I will dive both feet in, uh, and that's what I did. Dev, now, how about you? What do you
0: love about Mumbai?
2: I actually, I don't live in Mumbai. I have visited it a few times. Okay. But I actually live in Bangalore. Uh, it's in Karnataka. Uh, it's like, I think you've heard of it. It's like this big hub of the IT sector uh, in India, one of the biggest, I think. Bangalore has been a very uh, interesting journey for me. I went there uh, with my first comic book job, actually. I went there with uh, working for Graphic India. That was my first full-time job. Like, I, nine to five, I went there, I sat down, and drew comics, and I came back home. And then after a while, I realized that the kind of work I was doing, it was still good. Like, they're a good company, and they give you great work to do. But I was more like, I want to do something that I'm really interested in, rather than work for someone else's property. So then I started to do freelance. I got out of the job. It also gave me the chance, you know, I got the freedom. When I work freelance, I'm working from home. So I got the freedom to like just roam around Bangalore. And uh, that was also a very good experience for me, uh, finding out Bangalore. Because Bangalore is a city where it's an IT sector. It is like these hugely developed areas, these huge uh, buildings all around the place. And then you go a few kilometers away from that, and then there's this green, like completely green, empty spaces, and that was a very um, a
0: new thing for me. Now have you lived there for many years?
2: Uh, yeah, almost uh, four, uh, going on four years now. Before that, I lived in Kolkata. Like Ram said, he has always lived in big cities. I've lived both in big cities. And also when I lived in Kolkata, when I was a kid, I used to live in this small place, which was not very congested. It was a very sleepy sort of place. It was still like close to the city, close to the like very bubbling sort of city atmosphere, but it was also very cut off. So I have both an interest in like big bustling cities and also small, very quiet, almost desolate and sort of, Melancholy is right, what Mm. I mean. Melancholy settings.
0: Now, the two of you, you met, I believe, through the India indie comic community. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Actually, I mean, I I think we knew of each other's work (laughs) through indie comics. But really, the first time we started talking was uh, by the time I'd already moved to the U.K., and we had started working on Black Mumba.
2: I think by the time we started talking, uh, you were already in the UK. Ah, I remember you when you were still on the student. like You were yeah. still a student at the uh, place you were studying at. And uh, then you started doing editorial work, I, I think.
1: I used to work for a digital comics publisher called Sequential. Yeah,
2: yeah so like we started talking when uh, he was already in the UK. And uh, we had known each other for a while before that. We would message each other about our work. He would be like, yeah, I I really like your work. And I'd be like, yeah, I've also read some uh, Aghori books. Aghori is the book he worked on and is still working on. So I would say, yeah, I loved your Aghori books. And then we grew this sort of mutual respect for each other. And then he was like, uh, so would you like to work with me? I have this idea of uh, Black Mumba, and I was like, yeah, sure, it sounds interesting. And at that time, I uh, left my comic book job, and uh, I went into freelancing. So I was looking for work, and I was also interested in the story he was pitching. So that's how we started working.
0: Black Mumba started out as a 14-page black-and-white story for an anthology, and eventually you started a Kickstarter about this uh, noir comic set in
1: Mumbai. I had originally done it for an anthology called uh, Bloodroot and it was published by Sawdust Press in the U.S. uh, and Shing and Core. And that was just about the time where I was just starting to be a little confident about my writing for comics. And so I decided, you know, I wanted to pitch for anthologies or short comics uh, outside of the Indian market. Um, And so Shing, who was the editor and she, she runs Sawdust Press, was really, really encouraging Uh, And I also worked on that one with uh, artist Kishore Mohan, whom I had met again through the Indian sort of indie comics community. I don't know if you've seen Black Mumba, but we did the same story that we had done for uh, Sawdust Press, except Mm -hmm. we kind of expanded it and we did like a director's cut version of that short story uh, in the eventual book. By the time I'd moved to the UK, I remember Dave and I had just finished working on the first story, which is, I think, the shortest story of the lot. Um, and I remember uh, visiting London Supercon. Uh, it was the first time I had ever been to a convention outside of India. So I had all these creators that I had admired from a different continent. Uh, like, you know, I, I walked up to Duncan Pegredo, uh and showed him the pages that we'd worked on. And he was like, he was amazed. He was like, oh, man, this guy's really good. Uh, you should stick with him. And he was talking about Dave. And I remember that. It kind of feels surreal, and but also really... Sort of encouraging and really nice right now to, mm-hmm. to look back and go that was that was only three four years ago that was not too far away
2: yeah and i think my highlight was when he was at the festival and he sent me a picture where sean gordon murphy was holding the book and at that point i was still very new to the industry so i, I i'm a huge fan of sean gordon murphy And then he told me about how when Sean looked at it, he called Declan Shelby over and was like, hey, look at this book. And when I heard that, I was like, man, that's pretty awesome because I'm sitting all the way over here in India and all the way over there. Uh, people like Sean Gordon Murphy and Declan Shelby are looking at my work. So I was pretty blown away at that point.
0: Yeah, and if people haven't heard of the book, and that's one of the things I like about talking to my guests is I learn things I didn't know about some of their work that I'm like, oh, man, I definitely want to read that because I like noir comics, and I like the art that I saw on the Kickstarter page, and the cover's very arresting. A couple of the endorsements that you had, John Arcudi and Ivan Brandon. Ivan's been on my show, so there's some people out there. He, Ivan works on Black Cloud, Wolverine, and John Arcudi on BRPD. They're endorsing the book, it's something folks want to check out if they like their work. Well, they'd probably like yours as well then.
1: Brandon, uh, Ivan Brandon was one of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I was at the first Thought Bubble here, and I'd gone in as a visitor, and I met Ivan there. And I showed him our pages, and Ivan was really impressed. And uh, that's part of the reason he gave me that quote. But also, interestingly, he looked at Dave's art, and Dave, I think, went on to do a variant cover for Yeah, Drift I
2: did a variant that. for Dr.
1: Paradiso. Issue four has a variant cover by Nick Klein. who was very kind to to sort of return the favor, if you will.
0: Hey, let's talk a bit about Leeds Thought Bubble Festival. I actually, I talked to Declan Shelby about it on my episode
1: 61 on the show. And I wanted to get your impressions about it. It, it was my first festival when I had uh, moved to the UK. And I had only heard great, great things about the festival. Creators always told me there, there are two kinds of uh, conventions that you go to. Uh, there's the conventions that are really great for sales and really um, sort of professional and businesslike and all the big publishers set up their stalls. And then there are conventions you go to because you want to talk to creators and you want to meet people in comics. And you want to see uh, sort of both indie comics and mainstream comics just coming together and, and realizing that you're all part of the same community. I feel like Thought Bubble is one of those rare conventions that is able to take both those things and make it work. And so I have been there every year since. Um, it's probably pretty close to what I would call my home festival, even even though I, I love Comic Con Mumbai and I keep going back there. But I think Thought Bubble is pretty close to my home festival, if you will, because it's also conventions of these things where you, where you go back every year, uh, especially as a new creator. And you meet all the people that you've admired and who were encouraging the first time around, and it almost becomes like this gauge of how much good work you're doing and how you're progressing because those same people look at your work and go, "Oh yeah, you were showing me unfinished pages of this last time. Here you are with the finished hardback book." Yeah. yeah, thought bubble has always been that kind of a cathartic place for me, if you will.
2: I kind of always wait, like, because I haven't been to thought bubble yet. So every time he's been thoughtable, yeah. I've always been waiting. I, every time he's a I, like the moment he goes, I start messaging him. Dude, give me live reactions. Like, what did people say about our book? What did they say about the art? I just like, stay on tender hooks for that.
1: And I totally understand this because, um, you know, I'm, I've been quite lucky in that I, I had the ability to move here. But a lot of people that I'm collaborating with, people like Dave um, and then Anand, uh, who's working on my other book, Sumit, all of these guys, they've actually been in comics longer than I have. I mean, they didn't take up chemical engineering. They were either in college when they started drawing or they've been drawing since before. I always feel this sense of like a little bit guilty when I'm at these festivals. going, Oh man, I wish Dave was here. Um, So the next best thing for me is to, every time I get a reaction from someone, I don't messaged them, be- look at this, this is what, this is what Sean Murphy said about your work, this is what Duncan for <laughs> yeah. said about you.
0: Ram, it would have been you that you were at the Thought Bubble Festival when you pitched Paradiso to Image. And how was that reception? Who did you meet there?
1: Eric was there, but not in an official capacity with Image. Um, he was just at the festival, um, Eric Stephenson, and I had sort of started talking to Kieran Gillen and I asked him for advice on, you know, what I should do and how I should go about pitching. And Kieran was like, He's gonna be at the festival. Just walk up to him and show him your work. It's good work. Let the work speak for itself. And so I went. All right, I'm gonna do that. Uh, missed the opportunity on day one uh, when a bunch of others pitched to him, and I didn't realize that that had happened. So I was like, Oh my god, I've, I've missed my chance. Uh, but then next day, I went up to his table. He was he was kind enough. I had given him uh, Black Mumba the day before, uh, and he he read it. Uh, overnight, or he at least looked at it overnight and went, oh, yeah, quite like that. And so I pitched him Paradiso at that point, which was, you know, just the first, I think, eight or nine pages in a folder on A4 pages that I had printed out. And he looked at it and he went, yeah, we're definitely interested in this. Get in touch with me on email. Um, that's what I did.
0: Well, let me just set the stage for everyone, and then I'll ask you to chime in. So folks, pay attention. Here's the the premise of the story. It is set... After the midnight event, which was supposed to be like the crowning achievement of man's technological advancement, but something went wrong. And when we pick up the story, it's been 12 years since our protagonist of the book, Jack, has escaped from a tinkerman's shack with a device called a pneumus, which can bring dormant technology back to life. I wish I had one of those. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, at this point, Jack has stopped running from something, and he's running towards something, Paradiso. So now I'll hand it over to you. Describe the city, Paradiso. What is it? I understand it's sort of a living city. So the midnight
1: event actually happened centuries before this story. We'll discover that as the story goes on. But Paradiso was, at the time, probably one of the most advanced cities on the planet. When Dave and I were talking about the city, we were talking about uh, a place, a city that's possibly as big as the eastern seaboard of the U.S., all combined into one giant metropolis. And then at the midnight event, the sequence of events that happened, happened to destroy the world and civilization, but also lent sentience and, and life, if you will, to this to this city. So hundreds of years later, we're now in this city, which is a remnant of a futuristic city, which is also living. And, and what it means by when I say living is something we will discovering the issues to come uh, but it is a very strange place it has floating buildings and, and places in the dark that people are afraid of going into because there are malevolent fogs in there yeah yeah it's, it's a strange ethereal place uh, it's a bit of science fiction but it's so far off of any technology we understand and and, and humanity's understanding of technology has gone backwards you might even perceive it as fantasy if you if you looked at it from that perspective, this is a story that's going to take a
0: couple of reads, I think, to really appreciate and understand it. So it's going to build slowly. Folks need to understand that it's not all going to be revealed in the first issue. So you have to stick with it and really pay attention.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I've always been a fan of the of the slow burn, to be honest. Uh, but but it shouldn't. The story in itself shouldn't demand any sort of extraordinary patience of the reader. Uh, in that there are characters that you will care about from the first issue you may not necessarily know everything there is to know about the premise and the world and i think that's part of the joy of reading something is every time you think you know something you read the next bit and it makes you question what you think you know and and so the story kind of gets bigger sort of blooms outward from that first issue uh and so i intend for this story to be maybe three four volumes long um and so there's quite a bit to tell And it all gets progressively more intricate and progressively more interesting from here on.
0: One character I really liked, although I only saw a bit of it in the first issue, was this character called the Watcher, who's after the Tinkerman and Young Jack. And that is an awesome design. It's the stuff of nightmares and fever dreams. You know, the Watcher originally, I understand, functioned as this mapping device of cities as they... Brew and changed it would map the city so to me this is like you know Google gone bad Google Maps gone terrible so (laughs) (laughs) i having
1: nightmares about those Google cars going around (laughs) I think you've totally hit the nail on the head because that philosophy of you know good intentions gone awry is what sort of permeates through the whole midnight event and and, uh, everything that's gone on since
0: yeah the technology gets ahead of What our intention is, and things can get a little out of control, (laughs) to say the least.
2: I mean, Watcher is kind of like Google Maps. Like, it sucks, but it's also a necessary evil, I guess.
0: (laughs) I was going to just ask Dev if you had a lot to do with the actual design of that character.
2: All the designs that you see are mostly like team effort, me and Ram. Uh, Ram just came to me and uh, said, this is what I have in mind for this character and i would give him ideas for example with dandy he gave me an idea i remember that because dandy was a very hard character to model uh, with watcher it was much easier because i love horror horror designs come pretty easy to me like they're natural to me so when ram came to me and he was like there's this dude with lasers sticking out of his face through tubes i'm like "Yeah, i got this don't worry and I just uh, drew him on the page, and I added a few bits here and there, and uh, there it was. Uh, but yeah, characters by themselves, they're a very team-based effort with me and Rob. Yeah, I think
1: that the design kind of evolved over a period of time. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I had first started talking about Paradiso with with Rajiv, uh, who's a good friend of mine. He's an architect. And we had started writing short stories um, based in this living urban space one of these short stories he had written about was about dandy and Honeybad. and i'd written a story about this character called the watcher that's kind of where the concept started by the time we ended up with it so i knew i wanted you know multiple tubular cameras sticking out of his face um but i also knew that i wanted all the characters to have vague cultural references so we decided to put him in a 1940s sort of noir get-up if you will uh, yeah when I sort of went to Dave with that and I want to point this out because this is where like I feel the magic of comics really lies Um, so now the watcher now has this kind of central thing unit in his face Um, and that's actually a mechanism that Dave pulled out of one of these like old 60s pre SLR cameras Mm -hmm. uh, especially like the chunky sort of Russian cameras that you used to get yeah Um, and so he's just dropped that in the middle of the Watcher's face. And I can't imagine the character without it now. <laughs> uh, I've now found a way to incorporate that into the actual stories.
2: I could never imagine Watcher without that. Because uh, I, I actually had like two separate schools of ideas in my head. I, on one hand, I thought like, a face just covered in tubes would be pretty scary, I felt. Like just nothing, no distinguishing features at all. Just mm-hmm. tubes all over. That would be pretty scary, is what I would think. It borders on Lovecraftian. But I also decided that if you give him that central thing, somehow humanizes him a bit. That's a touch I gave at the very end. I was I knew that his face was gonna cover be covered in lasers, but I gave that touch just to like make people realize that, oh, okay. So this is the cultural norm he's aiming towards
0: yeah that's definitely more horrifying if it looks slightly human but not quite something's off that's disturbing
1: yeah and you can totally tell from like the city's perspective how it would have made sense because i know you mentioned the backstory a bit and yeah he'd started off as this kind of mapping device and then at some point later on the city decides to to use him to observe these human settlers who are now starting to build houses inside her body obviously you don't want like a floating spear with cameras hovering over human settlements (laughs) because they get scared so she makes him vaguely human so you might just see a silhouette on the horizon kind of watching you and not realize that it's the watcher now i take it that both of you deb i know you just said you were a fan of horror are
0: a fan of horror are there certain films that you draw from books that you draw from besides lovecraftian ones Mm,
2: uh I'm not a very big fan of horror movies. I love some horror movies. As in, I love the movies where, uh, like David Cronenberg's movies, where the horror is very body horror. Horror is better served through comic books and uh, books rather than movies. Uh, for example, Lovecraft. I have been a huge fan of Lovecraft ever since I uh, read uh, The Call of Cthulhu. I- I've read a lot of horror stuff, and I just... Love imagining, uh, that's how my horror sensibilities grew, actually. I would read and, or I would listen to audiobooks because I was always working. <laughs> I didn't have time to like sit down and just read at the pace that I want to intake stuff. But I would read or listen and I would imagine it in my head. Yeah, Lovecraft is a huge influence on me. Uh, David Cronenberg's body horror is also uh, a uh, very big influence on me. Uh, I, I worked on uh, the Hellraiser anthology before this. and That was an honor to work on that because I'm a Ty Barker fan as well. And doing body horror for that was uh, an integral part of the story. My horror <laughs> interests played a heavy role in that,
0: actually. Graham, how about you? Any horror influences or sci-fi influences on your work? I'm
1: very much influenced by things at the intersection of that. Um horror and sci-fi and I think it's been explored extensively but people don't necessarily put their finger on it and say that's actually sci-fi horror and that works really well. Yeah.
2: I think Akira falls in that category if you think about it.
1: Also in terms of classic movies like um I love Event Horizon. That's classic sci-fi horror. No, um uh, I mean obviously the the first Alien was great. Uh that mm-hmm. was sci-fi horror for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love you know, novels that are in that zone uh, like Stanislav Lem's Solaris is a huge influence um, on the kind of horror that I want to do um, and so yeah there, there's definitely uh, horror influences uh, but I do like my horror tinged with sci-fi um, I tend not to particularly enjoy the kind of fantasy horror or magical horror or ghosts if you will but um, I, I, I quite like Science turning people into things uh, or the thing for like John Carpenter. Yeah, John Carpenter is a thing. huge yeah. influence as well um, Yeah, yeah, so definitely have horror influences uh, Definitely prefer that intersection of science fiction and horror.
2: And I do think that uh, My horror inclination does help parody in a few places uh, uh, And it will in future arcs as well issue two or three there are scenes which are heavily influenced by uh, horror settings. Like, I mean, the setting itself, the characters involved are not necessarily horror characters, but the setting in which they are, the situation they are in, the circumstances, making the composition that way makes the my, makes my horror senses tingle, basically.
0: Well, I have questions that I ask all my guests. Uh, these are rest and relaxation questions. But first, Ram, I understand you are a dog person. You're a fan of Man's Best the Friend. Dogs. All the dogs. dogs. <laughs> Me too. I have my reasons. What are yours? What is it about dogs that appeals to you so much? Any tales to tell?
1: I mean, oh, oh, well done. Uh, you've
2: got them. <laughs> um, well,
1: I mean, I I was always around dogs as a kid. Um, all like my relatives had dogs, my friends had dogs, and um, I was one of those kids that would never be afraid of a dog. Uh, And also, I was one of those kids that the dogs seemed to have a strange uh, sort of relationship with. I I knew aggressive dogs that would never be aggressive towards me uh, for for whatever reason. Um, And so I grew up like that. But my mother had this like childhood fear of dogs because she'd been bitten once. And so I was never allowed to have a dog as a pet when I was a kid. Um, it was only after I moved out so I would always hang out with people who had dogs and so after I'd moved out of uh, Home and, and you know, I was in college and stuff like that. That's when I first started getting pets um, and my first pet was actually a cat um, And so I haven't been a cat person since I've had a Labrador I've had uh, a Dachshund and I've had uh, very recently now have a, um, a Jack Russell Terrier that we just got nine weeks ago. Oh, excellent. Uh, we have a Jack Russell mix, actually. <laughs>
0: it's a wonderful dog, yeah. Well, when Growing up, my mom loved pets, and my dad too. So they always had, they loved dogs, particularly, they always had multiple dogs at the house, like four or five strays that they picked up and brought in. And, and you know, they'd be like in the garage or in the basement, they wouldn't be like roaming the house, but we always had a roster of dogs. <laughs> and uh, so I've always growing up that way with dogs i prefer them my wife always had cats because her parents were like no dogs too much work <laughs> uh, right. so and so when we met it is, you, a lot of work. it is it's it's cats are very you know they bathe themselves they use the box you know they don't want to be around you much sometimes unless you're providing body <laughs> heat um right. yeah it's it's they you what's what you can do for them uh, so much more than yeah, a dog right. that they kind of like you and want to be yeah. you know make, make you happy uh yeah. But my, my wife said, can I have a dog? When the cat passed, and I was like, well, sure. I mean, why not? She goes, well, I just never could well, have one. And I'm like, well, sure. And she's, she loves it. I mean, she loved the cat. But the dog is just much more outgoing. Deb, how about you? Do you prefer dogs, cats, chickens? I mean, I've had guests on the show. They have chickens.
2: Uh, yeah, no, I eat chickens. I <laughs> I can't have anything I eat as a pet. It's very disheartening. I can't even shop for chicken. It's very hard. Because like, in India, you have these shops that just, I, I don't know how it's uh, um, in foreign countries. Uh, I think they just had the chicken meat on sale. In India, when you go to the shops, they cut the chicken right in front of you.
0: That's fresh. Y- yeah,
2: that's pretty fresh. <laughs> and that's also very traumatizing. It's gruesome. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I I remember, because uh, I've been living alone in Bangalore uh, uh, for a while now, and uh, I go to do my own shopping, right? So I went to the shop, and I was like, I want some chicken. And the guy just plugged a new chicken, and I was hoping he wouldn't do that. I was hoping there was something he had cut earlier, and some meat was left off, so he wouldn't have to kill a new chicken. And I just stood there, and it's like a car crash. I mean, you, you, you want to look away, but you can't look away. <laughs> he just... Oh, it's. Uh, this just so turned
1: into a really brutal discussion.
2: Yeah. <laughs> long story short, I don't, I don't tame chickens. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I'm i I'm a dog person. Very, I'm very much a dog person in the sense that I love dogs and dogs love me. I am a half cat person. Like I like cats. They don't seem to like me at all. <laughs> so
1: it's not, it's, very... it's not you. It's not you, Dave. It's it's her. It's them. <laughs> no, no.
2: I've I've seen people like my, my girlfriend. She she loves cats, and her cats can't get enough of her. I don't know how she does it. Um, me, cats will if I like to walk past them. I don't know what. Anyway, but dogs. I have loved them since I was a kid, and um, I actually got bit in my arm pretty badly. I had to like keep my arm up for like a week or so. Like it was my our household dog. Uh, it was a Doberman. He bit me, and uh, my parents thought that that would traumatize me and like make me fear dogs. But it never happened. I just grew to love them even more. Like, I, I have the same thing as Ram. Like he said, like when he was a kid, dogs. Uh, uh, everyone around me would always be like, "Don't, don't pet that dog. He might bite you." Because we have a lot of uh, street I dogs. Feel,
1: I feel dogs. this is a commonality to all people who yeah. work in comics: yeah. sucker for punishment. <laughs> a dog bit me. I will have him as a pet. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> and yeah it was the same thing I, um, there's a lot of street dogs and people would be like oh, don't don't, pet that but the dogs would come to me because uh, like, you know street dogs and I just go hey come over here and he thinks I have food so they just mill around me and I've always been friendly with dogs so, and I would love to have a dog someday <laughs> I don't have it yet uh, but yeah and also cats I don't mind cats and I, I really don't unless they don't eat my face I'm okay with them <laughs>
0: And now I have questions I ask all my guests. What do each of you like to do for rest and relaxation? Ram, you first.
1: Uh, I draw, strangely enough. Uh, <laughs> I draw. When the writing isn't going well or I get frustrated with it, I draw uh, a sketch. Um, and that really helps me relax. Uh, apart from that, I play video games um, that helps me relax, especially like a more re- repetitive kind of. Okay, I'm just gonna play like football on my PC or something, which doesn't really take off a lot of your brain. But, but at this point, it's muscle memory. On rare occasions, I will, you know, go out to concerts, and um, I used to play the guitar when I was in college.
2: You forgot movies. You you also like movies.
1: Yeah, but I don't, they don't make me relax. I get really offended and <laughs> really angry when I watch movies that I don't like and which is more often than not, unless a movie is like perfect. I watched The Place Beyond the Pines uh, recently and it's a fairly good movie, except for this like one really cheesy scene where they make, you know, Bradley Cooper cry and um, and really ball out and it, it was such an overdone sort of overacted scene and I'm looking at it and like I'm so tempted to turn it off and it, it, my wife's actually like no you've watched like three quarters of the movie do not turn it off
2: yeah I it's something like that on me too like when you when I see a TV show I, I recently watched the Punisher mm-hmm. uh, um, a few uh, weeks ago I love the show I loved it it's
1: but, really good show yep
2: yeah it, it's a really good show I I was amazed by how good it was. Like uh, The moments, spoilers, like there was, actually no spoilers. Uh, There were moments which actually made me feel emotions, real emotions. I was like, oh, awesome. That's awesome. I was sad. Sam Bernthal is basically Punisher. I, I, I agree with that. There are some things he does that are just so, like he keeps doing them. Like he has this tongue, he has a thing with his tongue where he puts his tongue out, like licks his lip. Uh, Or there's some mannerisms he'll do. They'll, they'll just piss me off because I'm like, come on, do you have to talk like that? Do you have to do that? (laughs) Uh, That's the thing. Like it turns me off. But then also I'm like, oh, this is a great try to watch it. Uh, But yeah, I have a question for Ram. Actually, do you think do you consider reading as a rest and relaxation, or is that part of work? I uh,
1: see. He's, uh, Dave's taken over the podcast duties now. No, I'm, I'm
2: just, I'm just curious. Actually, I'm, I, i am just, I was just thinking about it. Like, do you consider? Yeah, no.
1: Reading? It's just, I, I, think it's the same, same issue with movies. I mean, I used to, uh, but I don't think I know how to switch off reading like a writer now. Um, and so I read every day, uh, and I enjoy a lot of what I read, but I don't particularly think it relaxes me. Dev, what do you do for relaxation?
2: I actually draw I, guess. I, I, just, I just draw things that are not work. Like I, I'll draw just a small sketch. I'll like experiment with uh, inking techniques. like that's something as a, like I consider relaxation because it's a very Zen thing, you know you even if you just take a nib and just you know draw a few lines and you know, just do that, it will relax you it'll calm you down. It's a very Zen thing to do. But other than that, I also love video games, actually. I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know, strategy, turn-based games. Um, I I love playing those games a lot. And also RPGs. And other than that, also movies. I'm listening to music, uh, TV shows.
1: Hey, Chris, uh, having hung out with... So last year when I went back to uh, Comic-Con in India, I hung out with Uh, uh, David Anand. Um, and a couple of other uh, artists that I, I'm collaborating with, uh, and I am totally not surprised that Dave says he draws to relax because I'm um, there hanging out with these guys. and We go out to a bar, and they all pull out their sketchbooks and they start sketching. And it's, it's like it's like this unsaid thing. It's like they decided we're going to show up in this public place where we're supposed to talk to each other, make friends, and then privately <laughs> sketch everyone in our sketchbooks while we're looking at them I can totally see. Um, Dave, drawing for relaxing. For yeah, I mean,
2: I mean, that's the thing, like with drawing in a normal comic book I'm talking about, the actual effort comes in when you're thinking. When comic books are very much, you have to focus your energy, focus the creative energy into making something that makes sense, right? It's like there's a script and mm-hmm. you have to uh, mold your art. I have to like mold my art to fit the story. So while it is fun, it's very constricting in that way, in a very conventional way. Uh, Sketching is the complete opposite. You can make anything you want, and uh, it doesn't even have to make sense. That's why I think sketching is such a relaxing tool. Mm. Uh, That's why people, uh, because otherwise people would just draw comics to alleviate their stress, but people love doing sketches because of that. Because it's a very uh, freeing, but also a very repetitive process that, you know calms you down
0: now we talked about reading and let me give you a scenario you're stuck on a deserted island and you only have one book with you this can be something you want to read or something you like to read what would that one book be Dev we'll start with you oh do this.
2: go to Ram please Ram take it Go
1: ahead, Ram. Uh,
2: uh, but uh, yeah Ram go ahead I'll, I'll think about it in the um,
1: probably anything by Michael Chabon um, but I say anything, I really mean wonder boys or mysteries of Pittsburgh. One of those two, um, probably one of my favorite writers. Um, and the reason I say book to take to the deserted island is the best description I came up with for Michael Chabon for Michael Shabon's style of prose is that it feels like you're being swaddled in a warm blanket of words. Uh, and so I think that would be a nice feeling to have when you're on a deserted island.
2: Uh, for me, I think it would have to be All-Star Superman. It's, it counts as a book, I think. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it has to be All-Star Superman by Grant Morrison and Quietly. Like, that book is always just gives me the feels. I, I read that and every time I see something new in it. Like I've read that at least a hundred times by now. Like I've read it a lot basically and every time i find something new to uh, marvel at that book has to be it because uh, imagine i am stranded on an island and uh, i have that book with me i haven't read it yet i think that would like re- it has a lot of reread value and it also just it- it's one of those books that makes you feel really good inside for some reason it would uh,
0: inspire you to swim <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. now for each of you what is your beverage of choice when you're resting and relaxing?
2: Yeah, for me it's beer. If you want to be more specific, I would say the trusty Budweiser, I guess. Budweiser. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean that's that's the one I've had most. You know, I I would love to you know get uh, Sol or uh, Edelweiss or something, but those are pretty pricey over here because they're exported. But we have a Budweiser plant here, so those are normal prices. So Budweiser is the Magnum. Budweiser Magnum is the one that I have had the most. But yeah, Budweiser would be. My beverage of
1: choice. Okay, Ram. I'm a whiskey snob. Um, (laughs) I like my whiskeys. I like my single malts, actually. That's probably my beverage of choice for a late night thing. If it's summer, I'll do Bloody Marys. And if I'm not drinking alcohol, I'll probably do an iced coffee. I'm a man man of habit. You will rarely find me drinking anything other than these things.
2: (laughs) I mean uh, I mean if you if I'm given the choice I'd probably go with Corona but yeah if looking at <laughs> realistically I would drink Budweiser cuz it's more available but yeah I would drink Corona and I remember uh drum when we first met uh, he was coming down from London and I was like dude can you bring me a Guinness and he was like yeah sure oh, yeah. and he he brought me a Guinness and I remember drinking it in the car because it was still cold and we were going to a restaurant. He was in Bangalore and uh, I went to his house and we went from there to a restaurant to meet up with the crew of Black Mumba. I-, I don't remember if I drank it in the car or if I drank it at the restaurant but in any case uh, I drank it and uh, it was delicious.
1: <laughs> Comics and... bad boys drinking stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's strange, isn't it, uh, Chris? Uh, just that kind of disconnect that exists between i mean a guinness is you can find it in any store here but, Yeah, pretty much yeah and and it's here, really you don't hard know, to get in it's india
2: you can't i have i have gone to a lot of beer places and they you don't can. They, they you don't can have.
1: except it's overpriced and only available yeah. I mean, in really badly decorated of yeah. Irish so, pubs
2: actually no i went to this oh my god this show is going in a different direction but anyway, i went to this like really big liquor shop and I looked at all the beer available there. There was no Guinness there. There were a lot of imported brands, and there was no Guinness there. So, like, there must be a very small selection of shops that do carry Guinness. It pretty much makes it like royalty over here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's the one thing that my wife and I can agree upon is Guinness, because I like IPAs, bitter beers, and she just makes a face when she goes, Oh, what's that? I said, <laughs> I'm like, you don't want it you do not want this <laughs> and true. i'll i'll buy it because she won't touch it but but that we can agree upon that and red wine we agree upon so that's our common ground
1: <laughs> yeah I, I really like red wine except every red wine i drink gives me a headache oh it's like you can't have this even though you like it um but yeah yeah so i stopped i've stopped with the wine uh, <laughs> sticking to my single bones. <laughs> Well,
0: I just want to bring up a few things you're working on outside of Paradiso. So, Ram, you have upcoming uh, Brigands, which is returning. You finished the first arc, and the trade was out in May, so if folks want to catch up, they can do that. It is a uh, medieval heist book, I understand?
1: I always tell people it's uh, it's Game of Thrones meets Ocean's Eleven. If that makes sense. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, if anyone's read Joe Abercrombie, it's just me trying to do Joe, Joe Abercrombie in comics. I like that kind of gritty there's there's not really a lot of magic it's just a bunch of people with swords and bare knuckles being rowdy i like that kind of setting i like that idea of uh grit and just iron and metal i was a big big northlanders fan when that first came out with vertigo um, and just just me trying to do something a little lighthearted with that kind of content so yeah so that that comes out second arc of that is called Ruin of Thieves and I'm working on that with um, an artist called Sumit Kumar who is just brilliant brilliant um, different art team for the second arc and then Sumit and I also have another book that we're doing for a major publisher not announced yet but that will be out in the (laughs) uh, middle of middle of next year Um, and then I'm working on a graphic novel called uh, Graffiti's Wall, uh, which is out through uh, Unbound. Uh, They're a UK-based book publisher, and I'm working on that with uh, artist Anand Radhakrishnan. Uh, And then, hopefully, many, many more issues of Paradiso to come.
0: And, Dev, you're completely focused on Paradiso.
2: Yeah, I'm completely focused on parody so right now. Because basically, I was just thinking how Ram is working with the A team of Indian comics. If you take into consideration Sumit and Anand, because they are just phenomenal artists. If you look at their art, it's just so mind-bogglingly good. Me, I am not I'm not focusing on anything other than parody. show, like majorly right now, just uh, gonna keep working on parody. show and I I don't know. I do have like some things on my mind. Like I have had this project that I've wanted to develop but haven't been able like I'm just in the stages where I'm still thinking about how to develop the story have no idea what's going to come of it but yeah that's also something on my mind but other than that nothing official other than parody so at this moment
0: okay and that's coming out on December 6th so when this recording goes out people will have well about a week to wait that's it it'll come out on a Thursday before that Wednesday goes on sale yep yeah pick it
1: up you will enjoy it Um, and we have had an absolute blast making this book.
2: Yeah, our team was pretty, uh, team is pretty amazing. Like, without Dear Blast Colors, my pages wouldn't look as good. <laughs> and without Aditya's letters, everything would feel empty without Aditya's letters, let's be honest.
0: <laughs>
2: uh, but Yeah, I think this book is, after all is said and done, this book is a labor of love. And we have worked on this tirelessly. Uh, there have been times when I just like overworld myself to get something just right and I think I hope it
1: shows. <laughs> Over, overwork I hope. is is the right word <laughs>
2: <laughs> I hope it shows this is the kind of book where the first issue is just the precursor you have to get invested in the story right I hope we do a good job of bringing that out in the story to get the readers invested in it
0: I think you did and I think it does work and I think folks will find that out on December 6th So, Ram Dev, thank you so much for being on Creator Talks this week.
1: Ah, It was a pleasure. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having
0: us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Creator Talks. The podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. If you like what you hear, please rate and review on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't miss a single episode each Thursday. Subscribe. It's free. A new interview will be available each week and sometimes there'll be a second, maybe even a third interview that week. You can send me feedback and comment on social media. I can be reached at Creator Talks Pod, that's at CreatorTalksPod on Facebook and Twitter. I'm also available on Instagram, Creator Talks Pod. There I will post pictures while I'm on location, as well as my Saturday Silver Age or Older and Sunday Bronze Age Spotlight Comics from my personal collection don't forget to visit my website, Creatortalks.com. There I have listed the latest episode on the homepage plus a playlist of all the episodes to date that you can listen to online or download. In addition, on the site I will be posting my recommended reading picks as well as written interviews with creators. Also on my YouTube channel are video interviews with creators on location at comic conventions and elsewhere. I know you have a lot of entertainment to choose from and a lot of podcasts to choose from as well and i thank you for making the time to listen to this one your best source for comic book writers artists and creators there are more interviews in the works and you never know who it might be it is my distinct honor and privilege to speak to these creators and bring you those interviews each week i'd like to thank my executive co-producer who makes this possible mrs calloway that's all for now for creator talks i'm christopher calloway Until next time.